0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Amen. Open your Bibles to John chapter 3, the gospel of John chapter 3. While you're doing that, let me ask you a question. Do you know for certain that if you died today... You will spend eternity in God's presence. Do you know with absolute certainty, without any shadow of a doubt, that if you died today, you would go to heaven? That you're right with God and that God is right with you? You know, that's a big question, isn't it? I want you to hold that question in the back of your heart because I'm going to ask you again at the end of the service. But I'm going to ask you another quick question. And this question is a little bit different, but it, it relates, I promise. The second question is this: Why would anybody jump out of a perfectly good airplane? You ever heard that? So back in February, I had a, uh, a bucket list experience. I have wanted to jump out of an airplane for as long as I can remember, and finally, the right Groupon came up, and I bought it. Now I've been told that's not always the best idea to buy Groupons for life-saving or life-life-dangerous things. But my figuring is, it doesn't matter how much I pay for it, as long as the, the guy that wants to jump wants to live as bad as I do. And turns out he did. But I bought a Groupon, and so for 89 bucks, I was going to be able to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. And I have to tell you, it was every bit worth it. I checked it off my list, but now I've added a new item on my list. See, that was a tandem jump where I had a guy who was pulling the strings for me. And I'm just going to call him dude because I don't actually know his title. So if I ever say dude, that's, that's the guy I'm talking about. But the next item on my list is I want to jump out by myself. That's going to be really cool. But here, here's the thing. I know I want to tell you this because as I was jumping out of the plane, and that's really not the right way to say it, as I was Allowing myself to be pushed out of the plane is a better way to say it. God spoke to me in a really, really simple but clear way. And I'm going to tell you about that. He said, all it takes to be born again or to be right with me as God is for you to trust and obey. That's it. There's nothing else required for you and for me to be saved than for us to trust and obey. Now, this happened to be back in February. My wife and I were there for a conference, uh, a one-day pastor's conference. And at the end of it, we we went back to the hotel. And the next day, we were going to drive about an hour to the airport. We were going to get in a plane. I was going to get in a plane. We are going to jump. Well, Shannon decided it was a good idea as we were laying in bed trying to go to sleep that she would Google all of the deaths and the possible dismemberments of jumping out of an airplane. And she started reading to me. Did you know that? And and she started like reading case studies. And I'm thinking to myself, I was good until you Googled. By the way, don't Google if you're good. If you're good, stay good. Ignorance is bliss. But I actually did all the math and I said, hey, there's a chance... But it's not a really good chance, so let's do this. So I went to sleep, I don't think she slept a wink last night. She was nervous enough for the both of us. And I was thinking to myself, the kids are grown, I got great life insurance, you'll be way better off if I go splat, but nevertheless, she didn't sleep, I slept. In the morning we got up and we started driving to the airport. Now I had in my mind this picture of what was actually gonna happen. See, in my mind I pictured we were gonna drive up to this nice building that had, Beautiful paintings on it, and I was gonna walk in, and they were gonna hand me a cup of coffee and a donut or something and say, Welcome to the adventure of your lifetime. And I was going to then be escorted over to a recliner and I was going to sit down and I was going to wait for the instructor to come over and bring me into a room and spend about an hour giving me instructions on how to do this thing. And I figured he was going to explain how aerodynamics worked and how the chute was going to open at just the right time and how far we were going to fall and how fast we were going to fall. And I had all this, this picture in my mind of what was going to happen and it was nothing like that. You ever had those experiences where you, you, you make something to be one thing and you get there and you're thinking, whoa, was I wrong? Here's what really happened. We drove up to this big shack, basically. We walk in and there are people putting parachutes inside of bags and there was no sign, there was no greeter, there wasn't even a coffee and a donut. We walked in and I'm thinking, I guess we'll go that direction. So I walked over there, tapped on the glass. Hey, I'm here for my once in a lifetime experience. She goes, did you fill out the paperwork and watch the video? I said, no. She goes that way. So I go over and on the wall, there are screens and basically you push play and it's essentially 30 seconds of somebody saying this could kill you. We're not responsible. You can't sue us because you bought a Groupon. That's basically what it said. I watched a little video and I signed all my life away and everything. And I went back and I told the lady, I said, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. She said, okay, go have a seat. We'll be out shortly. And I sat down and I waited and I waited and I waited. And after about an hour, a guy, dude, finally comes in. Now, I have to tell you that I was going to be extra prepared just in case he decided to die on the way out of the airplane. So I actually went and I examined some of the bags and I pulled some of the strings. Actually, now that I think about it, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But anyways, I, I, I just kind of made myself a way, you know, YouTubed, how do you not die jumping out of it? And I did all the preparation stuff I could do. But this guy comes in and he, I don't know what language he was speaking, but it was kind of English, kind of not. So I could understand brokenness of it. Basically, are you Jeff? Yes. Okay, put this on. Okay, cool. He snugged it all up. He goes, okay, let's walk. I'm going, whoa, where's the hour of instruction? I mean, aren't you going to explain aerodynamics? Aren't you going to explain wind currents and all that kind of stuff? I'm thinking this. I didn't say it. We walked to the plane, and as we were getting on the plane, here's what he tells me. He says, here's what you do. When it's time to go, you're going to scoot to the door. You're going to cross your arms, and you're going to cross your legs. And you're gonna stick your legs out of the plane. And then I'm gonna jump. And then when you feel one tap on your right shoulder, I want you to open up your arms. When you feel another tap on your other shoulder, I want you to stick your legs between my legs. And then open your eyes. I'm like, okay, should I write the rest of it down? No, that's it. I'm like, seriously, that's the instruction I'm gonna get? You're telling me that that's all I'm gonna do? I mean, I'm thinking this, I'm not really saying this. basically we got on the plane, we scoot all the way to the back with the first ones on, which not in my mind. See, I'm a planner when it comes to dangerous things and I'm thinking last guy or first guy on is the last guy off. I want to be the last guy on so I can be the first guy off if something goes wrong. They didn't ask my opinion on that. We scoot all the way back and all these people start filing in, right? So this is fuselage and instead of the seats being this way, it's this way. So we scoot all the way back. He's behind me and I feel him strap me in and it's like... And I'm thinking, a little weird, but okay, we're, we're okay, this is good. These people start filing in, and I notice that they're speaking German. And I'm like, hey, uh, who are these people? He goes, well, that is the German military skydiving uh, exhibition team. That actually made me feel a little bit better, because I'm thinking, okay, they're not going to all die, right? I mean... They, they need to live. And then I go, well, who are these guys? He goes, that's the world champion skydiver, and that's the U.S. champion skydiver. So I'm thinking I'm pretty sharp at this. I'm like, well, I'm in the presence of royalty, right? We're flying, and here's what these other guys are doing. They're going out five at a time, and they have to jump and hit a spot that's about two foot wide from 5,000 feet. And they're, they're like you know flipping and all that kind of stuff, and I'm thinking to myself, I want to do that, Right? He didn't flip, by the way. I was disappointed. It was finally time for me to go. Nobody else was in the plane but the pilot. So he circles up a little higher. We scoot to the edge of the door. He lifts the door. By the way, did I tell you this plane was kind of like you'd see in Alaska? You know, duct tape on the side. And they had to tighten some bolts with their knife while they were, you know, working it. We slip, go to the door. The door goes up. And he says, okay. I stick my legs out the window, and I cross my arms, and I'm just sitting there, literally hanging out of the airplane, connected to this guy. And that's when it hit me. God said, this is all it takes to be saved. Trust and obey. You don't have to know any." else. You don't have to understand theology. You don't have to know the the depths of the Word of God. You don't have to know how it all works. You have to simply trust and obey. And the next thing I knew it, he goes, ready? And before I could say ready, we had jumped out or pushed out of an airplane and the wind was blowing and it was, I was at that moment going, ah. We rode our way to the, back, to the ground and landed without a hitch. Actually, my feet were longer than his feet, so that did create a problem. Both of us went to the ground, but it was marvelous nonetheless. But the truth is, if you are not certain that today, if you died, you would spend eternity in heaven with God, all you have to do is trust and obey. John chapter 3, Jesus tells us this much. John chapter 3, verse 14. This is Jesus speaking. If you have a Bible with red letters for Jesus, this is him. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus begins by saying, Just as Moses lifted up the snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Well, what is he talking about? Well, in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, the Bible records a story where Moses and God are being grumbled against by the people of God. So all the Israelites were were upset and they were disenfranchised that they were taking a journey that was lasting too long. So they were complaining. And as they complained, God said to Moses, Moses, I'm going to send poisonous snakes into the or or on the ground so that they bite the people who are complaining and as the people woke up the next day they were noticing all these poisonous snakes and they were being bitten and they were dying now you might say to me what kind of god does that the kind of god number one who has all authority and all right to do whatever he wants to do but more than that the kind of god who wants a relationship with you more than you want a relationship with him Here's why he did that. Because if God doesn't allow for the consequences of the sin in our lives, we live our entire lives apart from recognizing we have a need for a relationship with him. Let me, let me take it out of God and let's talk about you and me. If we raise a child with no consequences for anything they do, we raise a spoiled, brat and ch- a spoiled rotten brat who is no good to anybody and selfish amongst all things, right? Right? Any child who doesn't get discipline is a child who is wild. We all know that. So why would we expect that God is less of a father? Right? Not only is it right, but it's also just. Because after all, if you rebel against God, don't you deserve the justice of what comes from rebelling against God? I do. And so God said, I'm sending snakes But the very next thing he did was say to Moses, Moses, I've sent snakes as a response to their disobedience, but I'm also sending a savior. And for Moses, he said, Moses, build a snake or put a snake on a pole, or image of a snake, raise it up and tell the people this thing. Go to the pole with the snake on it and look at it. And when you look at it, you will live. Wait, wait, wait. That's it? I mean, I'm not supposed to take out my Swiss Army knife, cut myself, and suck out the poison. I mean, I'm not supposed to take an anti venom. I mean, I'm not supposed to go do some ritual thing. No, no. All you do to not die is to go to the pole with the snake on it and look at the snake. You look at it and you will live. Simply trust and obey. See, for us, we don't want it that simple. For our faith in Jesus, we want to make it difficult. We want to have to do something. We want to have to earn something. We want to have some skin in the game, right? And so we make it difficult. In order to be saved, we got to do this, and we got to do that, and we got to do this, and then we have to do that, and then maybe we'll be made right with God. Listen, if you add anything to Jesus, you are taking away the power that Jesus has to save you you're not taking it away, but you're adding to it and you're diluting the power. Jesus plus anything is not the right way. Jesus plus nothing else is the right way. Christ and Christ alone has the power to save. Your response to that is simply to trust and to obey. Now, you might say, well, what what about this obedience part? Does the obedience save me? No, the obedience is the evidence that you trusted. Listen, if there's no evidence that you trusted in Jesus, you probably didn't trust in Jesus. Why do we how do we know that? Well, nature itself tells us that you go to a tree. How do you know what tree it is? You look at the bark. You look at the leaves You look at the characteristics of the tree that tells you what kind of tree it is. The most obvious, though, is what? It's the fruit of the tree. The fruit tells you that the tree is a certain kind of a tree. You don't get figs from an orange tree and you don't get grapefruit from an olive tree. Why? Because the tree bears the fruit of the kind of tree that it is. So Jesus says this. In verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, and anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one of the only Son of God. This is the judgment. Here it is. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. See, their deeds demonstrated their relationship or lack of relationship with God. But then the next verse says this, says that for everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that its deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown by accomplishment of God. So in other words, your works declare your faith. This is such a, 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 a burning message inside of my heart. And it has been for weeks and for months. And it's getting, it's getting more and more intense. And here's why. I had a conversation not too long ago with a guy. And this guy essentially told me that he had went to a Christian school. He belonged to a local Baptist church. Had been there for 15 years. And yet before there he was a part of another church. So he was raised in church. Raised with with the gospel. And yet the more we talked. The more it dawned on me that this guy has not a single clue. Of what it means to be born again. His words were obviously confused about what the gospel is. Now, look, I'm not casting judgment. I'm simply saying from an observer, there was no evidence in what he was saying that he had any relationship with the God of the universe at all. And in my heart, I was crying out because I thought to myself, how do you go to church all of your life? How do you go to a Christian school? How do you do the church thing for so long and totally and completely miss it? Billy Graham once said 80% of church members are lost and in need of salvation. That's not a scientific number. That's an observation. And here's why. It's entirely possible for you to say you're a Christian. It's possible for you to be here every single Sunday. It's possible for you to read your Bible and for you to pray. And even in all of the good works that you do, it's possible that you could be totally lost and without Christ. Say, well, how is that possible? Because all of those things are works that the Bible calls dead works if they're not done through faith. As the foundation. See, so many times we get it backwards. It's, it's Jesus plus what I do. That's not the way it is. It's Christ and Christ alone. And because he has redeemed me. Because he has saved me. Because he's changed me. The works come out of that salvation. Not for that salvation. The distinction may seem small. But it is miles apart. And here's the thing, I cannot tell you if your works are dead works or works in response to the gospel. Only God can reveal that in your own heart. I can say this, though. One day the Bible says we will stand before God and he will call us into account for everything we've said and everything we've done. And he knows our heart. And so when I heard this conversation with this man, this fire inside of me rose up and it said, you know, Jeff, there are people all over this country, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, who have heard the gospel and who have nodded their head to the gospel and have left the building hearing the gospel. And yet the gospel hasn't grabbed them to the core and grown roots to the fact that it changes them. And I don't want that to happen to anybody in this place. Jesus said, for God loved the world in this way. You know, the the whole foundation of salvation is love. You are saved by God's grace because he loves you. Not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, but because he loves you and that's it. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one only son, that everyone who believes in him, that belief is not head knowledge. It is not enough to simply say, oh, I believe that God exists. Oh, I believe that Jesus died. Oh, I believe that he rose again. Oh, I believe that that he's a good prophet and a good teacher. Belief is not head knowledge. Belief is an action That word is a verb in the original language of the text. It's a word that means you've done something with that belief, you've placed that faith into action. That's why works is a response of your belief or it's evidence of your belief. But belief without works really isn't belief, it's intellectual assent. And again, I know that can sound confusing, but when you get it, you get it. When God quickens you inside and when you awaken to the truth of the gospel, there is a life inside of you that cannot be contained. It comes out automatically and naturally. You suddenly cannot hate people anymore. You cannot speak pejoratively of people anymore and not have conviction for that. You can't can't say things and do things without God saying that's not who you are. I've changed you. I've redeemed you. I've saved you. It doesn't mean we don't wrestle with it. It just means that we're not okay with it anymore. Because the gospel changes us. And so, God did not send his son into the world, verse 17, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned but listen to this, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. See, the question I asked earlier, why would anybody jump out of a perfectly good airplane is really not the right question for us as in, in this spiritual conversation. But the assumption is that we are in a perfectly good airplane and yet we're not. I'm convinced that a large portion of people don't trust in Jesus because they think that the plane is going to land. The lack of faith is because they don't recognize that God is going to judge all men at some point. Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto men once to die. And after that, the judgment. Listen, you and I will face judgment for our sin. And look, sin is sin. It's not just an indiscretion. It's just not a little failure. It is an offense to the absolute holiness of God. It is a marring of the image of God that he's placed in our life. And we are held accountable to that. And none of us in here disagrees with the need for punishment for sin if we're talking about law, right? Does anybody in here think that a criminal should go free? I mean, we hear it all the time. Build borders, right? Keep people out or, 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 or don't let people out of jail. If you DUI, you should. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time that there should be justice, right? Why would we not expect the God of the universe to be a just God? What kind of God would he be if he wasn't? He would be a God not worthy of following. Because a God who is not just is a God who is not truly holy. Who is not truly perfect. But a just God. One who says I'm sending the snakes. And a God who at the same time says. But I'm providing salvation. That's a God we can follow. See it's not that we're going to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. It's that we have to jump if we want to live. Out of an airplane that is going to crash. It would sound a little different if the pilot got on the radio and said, Uh, passengers, underneath the seat, there is a little bag. If you'll put that on your back, it's a backpack. There's a little string on the side of it. And if you'll pull that string, once you jump out of the airplane, it will save you and you will land safely on the ground. It would sound different to people if he said it this way. Uh, folks, I got bad news for you and I got good news. The bad news is this plane is going to crash. We are all going to die in a fiery blaze. But I knew this was going to crash. And so I put a bag that looks like a backpack. If you put it on your back, exit the aircraft and pull the string on your way down, you will be saved and you will live happily ever after. It'd be a little different, wouldn't it? See, we don't think our plane is going to crash. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Your plane is going to crash. You are going to die. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. John chapter 11, Jesus says that even though he may die, yet he shall what? Live. So the plane's going to crash, but death is not guaranteed. Physical death is. Eternal death is not. Because Jesus said, I've provided a way for you. So let's cut to the chase. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he's not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. What are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in? You are trusting in the one who has the name that is above every other name. The Bible says that this is a name that was given. That At that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is coming a day where every mouth, every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. The only real question is, will you do it now while you have a chance for salvation or will you do it after death Where you have no salvation or chance of salvation. In other words, we're going to recognize that Jesus is Lord eventually. We'll either do it now when the offer of hope is there, or we'll do it when we stand before Him and have to acknowledge Jesus was and is the way. So, what is this eternal life? Eternal life is not just a quantity of life. It is a quality of life as well. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it what? Most abundantly. It means even in the muck and mire of life, there is still joy and there is still hope. Even in the muck and mire of life, there is still satisfaction and there is still a knowledge of knowing that God is with us and he will never leave us and never forsake us. You know the problem with some believers as I see it, we forget the hope of the gospel. We've forgotten how glorious Jesus is. We come to worship and we sing songs and our hearts don't ignite with this, with this, with this passion of, this is a God who rescued me from death. We just come in and go, we walk out. It's was like, no, you don't understand. You were going to die and God saved you. He rescued us out of the muck and the mire. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And yet God still said, I choose to save you. You lifted up your eyes and you trusted in a name that is above every other name. And because you trust him, your life reflects that trust. People, all I got to say is this. There is no other message that is more important than the simple childlike message of trusting and obeying the gospel. That's it. You can figure everything else after that, but if you don't have these basics, you probably are lost. You know, I'll never understand why people will hear the gospel and turn away from it. I just don't understand it. But truthfully, it's because I'm on this side of it. Because God has shown me the wickedness of my own heart. And I believed him. And I said, God, I've tried everything and I can't fix this, but I know that you've already provided a way. But on this side of of the gospel, the only thing that would keep me from trusting in Jesus, from looking up, the only thing that would keep me from doing that, is my own pride. The Bible actually clearly tells us that pride... Comes before the fall, right? That the one who prides himself or lifts himself up, God will bring low, and the one who brings himself low, God will bring up. It's backwards. I want to invite you one more time to ask the question Do you know for certain that if you were to die right now, you are right with God? Do you know for certain that you were saved? Saved from what? Saved from a fiery crash at the end of life. To be saved, you simply let Jesus strap you in. And you do what he says. Cross your arms, stick your legs out of the plane, and trust him to open the chute. By the way, would it help any if I told you That he's done it millions of times before? Would it help you if I told you that he invented the parachute? Would it help you if I told you that he controls the wind and the waves? There is zero possibility of failure for God. Why would you reject such a great salvation as that? Will you stand? As you're standing, I want to ask you to close your eyes and just take a moment to reflect on that question. Do you know for certain... Do you know for certain that if you were to die today, I'm not saying have you joined the church, I'm not saying have you walked an aisle, I'm not even saying have you asked Jesus into your heart by saying a prayer. I'm saying have you genuinely trusted and surrendered your life to Jesus? This morning will you do that? Sarah's going to lead us in song and as she does that, I want to invite you to pray to receive Christ. Really just yield yourself to him. God, I believe you. I trust in the name of Jesus. Cry out to him. God save me. He'll do it. Maybe you're here today and you have trusted Christ, but the joy of your salvation has just slipped away somewhere. There's nothing more important in your life than finding that again. Cry out to God and ask him, just like David prayed, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Let it be fresh and real again.